Do you travel for a living and struggle to maintain a healthy lifestyle like I do? Or maybe you just struggle to stay healthy in general. This is the Road to Health podcast and I am Tamar, your host for this adventure. I travel for business often, which presents some challenges in terms of achieving and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Join me on my perfectly imperfect journey as I implement the strategies I've learned from the coaches I work with and make my dreams and goals a reality. I don't always manage to resist the temptations that life throws at me, but by working on developing a healthier mindset, I'm managing to build a firm belief in my own ability to change. No one needs to take this journey alone, so if you struggle to make healthy choices on the road like I do, join me for this ride on the road to health. Well-traveled, well-lived. What's going on? Tamar here from the Road to Health podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. So before we get into today's episode, and trust me, you are not going to want to miss this one. I have another amazing guest to bring to you, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. I've got a couple new things going on, and I know I've been alluding to it for a few episodes now, but there's going to be a brand new website, and I'm going to bring that to you on next week's episode, and also... I have just finished up my Wake Up On Fire workshop. Now, I get asked a lot how on earth I wake up at 4 a.m. every day and I'm actually excited to get going in the day and I'm excited for life. And honestly, this is, you know, the first time in, I think, ever that I actually am so grateful to the life that I've been given now and the opportunities I've been given that I can't wait to go to bed at night because I am that excited to get up in the morning. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that are not morning people and I totally respect that. But when you actually find a purpose and a passion in life, no matter what time you wake up, you know, you start to develop this fire within you that you actually get excited to wake up. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that I used to be one of those people that lived for the weekend you know I would on Sunday I would dread you know going to bed because I was filled with anxiety just because of the work week ahead of me right and it hasn't been like that for a little while now but it was something that because I only looked forward to Friday after work I couldn't enjoy every day leading up to Friday and you know, I can honestly say there's my there's easy easier days than others. There is still definitely those tough days where you can't wait till Friday afternoon. But I can honestly say that I don't live for the weekends anymore. I live for every single morning. And that's why I decided to create the Wake Up on Fire workshop. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to do a five-part uh, episode. It's going to be aired October 5th through October 9th every single day. This is when I'm launching everything. And episode number one is going to be about creating your vision. Episode number two will be about refueling your body and mind. Then in episode number three, we're going to get into getting organized and being more efficient. Episode number four is going to deal with procrastination. And episode number five is going to be about commitment and accountability. And this actually models the workshop. So I'm going to be getting into a little bit of what the workshop's about. But this is going to be a short mini series and then of course the wake up on fire workshop which will be launched that week 
is absolutely free for you. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes once that goes live and make sure you join the Facebook community, which is going to be the road forward. I will put a link here as well in the show notes and you will get all the up-to-date information as it comes out. Today's guest is my friend Cece Owen. Now, I was actually approached by Cece's husband, Michael, and he shared her story with me and I was blown away. I just knew that I had to have Cece on the show. And honestly, we had such an amazing chat before the interview and after as well. And this woman just warms my heart. She has such a powerful and inspirational story. And I just love that people like her teach us that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to share our experiences. And, you know, I love how her faith played such a huge role in who she is today, right? The person she's become. Um, I am so grateful for Cece and Michael. They actually invited me to a Toastmasters, which I'd always wanted to do. Of course, I had thought about doing it right before COVID and everything got shut down. So I got to experience that with them. And they are just amazing people. So I cannot wait for you to hear this story. I hope it inspires you and it motivates you like it did me. And let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone. I am super, super Full of gratitude today because I have Cece Owen hanging out with me. How are you doing? Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) I'm so grateful you're here. I've, of course, read your story or parts of it, so I'm excited to get into it. But I know for myself, I'm currently on a journey of self-discovery as I, you know, have been for the last eight years. And I know that events of our past can really help inspire others um, by just sharing hope. So... How about we jump into it? You have an absolutely amazing story. So how about you share, you know, what it was like growing up? Wow, what it was like growing up? Well, in the beginning, it was nice. (laughs) (laughs) It was nice. It was, it, it was, it was good. It was good. I did not know a lot of things because I was sheltered. Mm hmm. And I was strictly into school and skipping a couple of grades and wanting to be a doctor, you know, I guess the regular American dream, if you will, you know, for some. And that's how it basically started, you know. I didn't know what was going on behind the curtain of life, Mm -hmm. you know, when it deals with adults and their issues. You know, because kids are usually not privy to that. Right. Especially that day and era. Kids was seen but not heard. Mm -hmm. So basically just just growing up, going to school. And um, I got to a certain age, around nine. And that's when... I was taken to get some ice cream and never brought back. Mm-hmm. And when I say never brought back, never brought back home. Wow. <clears throat> because parents, adults have this tendency of using children as a bargaining chip. And I was a bargaining chip. And it was, well, she wanted to get married 
and have a decent life and he wanted to play the field. So based on that, he took me as he always would once in a blue moon come by and take me for ice cream and he didn't bring me back. So he used me as a tool. See, um, before then though, I had not known that she was not my birth mother. I thought she was my mom's and she still is my mom's. I call her my mom's even though she passed. But basically what happened is I was, I was born out of an inter, what you call interracial relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom was Caucasian, my father was black and you know, they got busy and here I am. Okay. You know, and not that I asked for it, but here I am. So my understanding from what I was told was that she had a choice to make. And that was in, that was either inheritance or get rid of that thing. That thing is me. And she chose her inheritance and I ain't mad at her. <laughs> you know, so I was on a bus one day and he had me wrapped up and I was not properly dressed in the, for the winter. And there was a nurse on the bus and she made a comment to him about how I was not dressed properly. And it was up north in the winter. And what happened was she offered to take care of me. So he met who I thought was my mom through this woman because it was her mother that was on the bus. Mm -hmm. And I call him the sperm donor. The sperm donor met her daughter and there was a relationship after that and he wanted to play the field apparently and she wasn't that type of a woman so she was going to marry somebody he got whim of it so he started playing a game well when he took me and i didn't come back my first stop was at a bar wow. i know i'm too young to drink but i was at a bar <laughs> and it was it was a place that was dark a lot of grown-ups a lot of cigarette smoke it just didn't feel right remember i was very sheltered mm -hmm. <clears throat> so my world consists of learning how to walk with a book on my head learning how to cursey learning how to use proper grammar. So I was being bred a certain way. Right. So to be in this environment, it wasn't what I was used to, you know? So anyhow, he took me out of that environment to a woman's house and said to me, this is your new mom. This is your new mother. I'm a kid. I have no clue what that means. I'm confused. So we go into this woman's house 
and he introduces me and I try to be on my very best behavior. You know, I curse, I gave proper hellos, you know, and they had a conversation. And when he left, she locked the door, she turned, she looked at me and she said, so you think you're white, huh? And just start physically punching me with her fists. And he never came back for, for a long time. So I had to learn how to survive in a situation like that, that I had no idea of how to deal with that. Wow, unreal. And then how, you know, from going from a life that's so proper and I can picture it as you share it, I can, you know, picture the book on your head, walking, you know, doing the curtsy and everything. How did that change for you? What was life like after that point? Well, I would say for a child, confusing. Mm -hmm. Looking to be rescued. You know, they say that when you go uh, through a traumatic life experience, that's where you're stuck at as you grow up. Mm -hmm. Looking to be rescued. And that has haunted me as I was growing up because I will go, he will come, take me to another house, another house. And it never got better. It was always abuse. You know, when I was traveling to that woman's house, I remember it was very dark. Not that it was nighttime, but there was a certain eerie spirit. It was depressing. It was dark. The kids were dirty. The diapers looked like they'd been on for 13 hours and very soggy and wet. Mucus coming out the nose and no one's, it was, it was, it was hell. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about low self-esteem it's like it was breaded. It was designed and created to be there. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't fit that because you're supposed to brush your teeth. You're supposed to clean, you know, after you come from school, you change out of your school clothes and you put your play clothes. You don't do that in a place called the ghetto. You don't do things like that. Mm -hmm. You are to survive. That's it. However it is, there's a lot of pain there. So I just wasn't used to that. And because I didn't speak like them, because I was extremely light-skinned, you know, but I, after all that, I grew up on the beaches, so I, I got a tan. But, <laughs> you know, it was, then I'm the teacher's pet because I'm different than everybody else. So that brought in more beatings at home, more beatings in school, the bullies, you know, some of the kids were so bad, I was afraid to even walk on the same sidewalk as them. This was a whole new experience for me, mm -hmm. something that I would have never even imagined. But there was a purpose and there was a reason 
that I had to go through that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't find that out until much later. Wow. And so when did you find that out? Because I, I know I've, you know, I have not been through anything like that, but I've gone through addiction and, you know, the self-esteem you talk about, the bullying at school. You know, I remember uh, one time I some boys said, hey, you look like a boy and you have a big butt. And, you know, as somebody who I think I was like 12 or 13, I was devastated, right? Because I just wanted to belong. I wanted to fit in. And, you know, drugs and alcohol were my escape for that, you know. Um, you know, so actually, you know, what did you use as an escape? Like, you know, how did you just kind of numb those feelings that you were going through? I don't know if they was ever really numb, but I will always cry out to God in the beatings and the abuse. You know, I would just cry out to God. And there are times when I have seen miracles. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, there was a girl in my class that looked like she's been there since Moses. I mean, she was <laughs> she was tall, like she should have been in high school or something, you know, and maybe she stayed back 16 times. Who knows? But she was the bully of the school mm-hmm. and she happened to be in my class. And I remember, you know, they would, she would do this, you know, and all, all, all this, I'm gonna punch you in the face that, that whole bit. So my heart is, is pumping a thousand miles a minute because there's fear Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at the clock and I never forget. I asked God to help me because I was scared. And not knowing, I'm still dealing with this issue as a child. Mm -hmm. So it's time to go now. So I'm going to be the last one to leave the classroom because I'm hoping everybody left, right? Right. So I'm looking around and I get out the building and guess what? I don't see her. I'm good. So I catch up to a couple of my friends because they're walking my way. And all of a sudden, everything seemed to slow down. And I hear this huge boom. And I'm looking at my friends, and their eyes are huge. And I'm tracking what they're looking at. And I look behind me, and this big girl, I never forget her name. Her name was Tempe. Mm And when I guess she hit me, I wouldn't know, but I looked and her eyes got big and there was some kind of fear on her face and she started backing up and then she just ran. And then I slowly looked back at my friends and then things start to happen normally. And they was like, oh my God, you didn't feel that? Feel what? And they was... You know, oh my, you know, it was a whole big thing. And they talked about it all the way home, but I felt nothing. I was covered. Not knowing again that there will be other episodes in my life because God had a plan. Mm-hmm. 
And I am so thankful that I knew to call on God, regardless of what it was. I just knew. Right. And did you grow up with faith in your life? I believe so. I don't know where it came from. Cardinally speaking, I have no idea. All I know was, and I believe that it stemmed from when I was at that woman's house. Her name is Ori. I had a certain dream. And, well, a couple of dreams, but I will always leave my body and travel and go places. So I guess the spirit was already working with me. But then there came a one dream, this one dream I never forget. I was falling and falling and falling. And I just started calling God, 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 God. And I went all the way down to the bottom of that, of that plane. And I was maybe an inch away from crashing. My nose and the ground, you could put your hand under. That's how close I was. And I called on God all the way, all the way, even if it meant death. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. And I believe that opened a spiritual door because of that faith. I really, truly believe that. But I'll ask when I, you know, cross over, you know, hey, God, was that it? You know, <laughs> can, can you talk to me for a minute? You know, but I'm standing on that. And I believe that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And it's just after that, regardless of how bad things were, it was kind of weird because in some of these beatings, I felt that I had to go through it. I mm-hmm. needed to toughen up. Remember, I was afraid of my own shadow. Wow. You, If I say boo, I was scared. Yeah. You know? So to be in these environments that was very violent, it was drugs, prostitution, alcohol, domestic violence. It was gang related. It was dirty, you know, but from house to house, I will be dropped off at, you know, and then it just got to a point because I was getting beat up in school. I was getting beat up at home and it got to a point where this martial arts guy saw my plight and he put me in his martial arts school. And when he put me in the martial arts school, females wasn't really accepted. So that means the boys wanted me out. But I had to be there for a reason and being there developed me in a way that my whole core, my whole existence, my whole being was formed. Mm -hmm. Because when I finally ran away, that is what saved me so many times. Mm -hmm. You know, 
even though those push-ups and sit-ups, I mean, we're talking about a thousand push-ups. We're talking about a thousand jumping jacks. I mean, it was a day of Bruce Lee. Yeah. And there was a time where schools would infiltrate other schools. Just like the movies, they would come in, tear the sign down, went in to fight the instructor, blah, 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 blah. And that's how it was for me. So it got to the point where I stood over this woman's bed because I got sick and tired of the extension cords. I got sick and tired of going to school with black eyes, busted lips, and the whole nine. I just got tired of it. So I stood over her bed with a knife. It was a 12-inch kitchen knife. And as I'm standing over this woman's bed, I raised the knife up to plunge it in her chest. See, I can understand why kids take their parents out if there's been a lot of abuse because eventually you snap. Mm -hmm. I stood over her and I could not pull that knife down out the air. It's as if God himself had my hand and I couldn't pull it down. And I'm struggling over this woman and she's not waking up. And I'm struggling and then finally I took my hand down and I'm examining what the heck is going on. And I can't pull it down. So once I relaxed, I was able to bring it down by my side. Mm -hmm. And all this time, she was asleep. Wow. That's when I ran away and started living on the street. Wow. And why don't you tell us about that? Did things get better at that point or slowly start to get better? Or did you have to continue to go through a lot of the abuse or, you know, just the terrible things that happened to us in life? Well, see, you have to grow up emotionally. You have to grow up psychologically. You have to learn to forgive. You ha There's so many so many things you have to learn and develop. And it was a walk for me. Not an easy walk, but it was a walk. A lot of crying, a lot of fighting off men, a lot of being abducted. It, it was just a lot, okay? But because of the fact that God has always been in my life. My looking back, my life was more of a spiritual journey. You know, being on the streets, I was very, I was very lost. What, what do kids do? I'm gonna tell you what we do. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what we do. We go to our friend's house, you know, um, we go in alleyways, we find places that we can hide. We sleep in their parents' cars and then we get out before their parents find out, you know, so I was doing this kind of stuff. It got to the point where the pro prostitutes 
started to look out for me. You know, they would feed me, they would give me some clothes and they kept me away from the pimps and, you know, all the Johns and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, and when it was like, they're coming in the area, they tell me leave, you know, or go somewhere, whatever. And I look back at that, at that and I say, you never know who, you never know who is going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And as kids on the street, we're vulnerable. You know, we're vulnerable. So that's how I was traveling coming up. And I remember that I went to, I got sick and tired of being on the street. And I went to Division Youth and Family Services because I need help. I need help. Mm-hmm. Well, they threw me out. I tried to tell them my story. She didn't believe me. She brought in another, I guess they're counselors. I told them the exact same story. And I was told, when you think of a better story, come back. Wow. So, yeah, that was one. So I came back another time. And this time I was just about to reach 18. And they said that I would have been timed out the system or whatever. So I had nowhere to go. No money. They pushed me out, closed the door behind me. And I slid down the door crying because I'm back again. Excuse me. So I walked the streets and in my spirit, I had to go to church. I knew nothing about the church, but something said I needed to go to church. Let me tell you about kids when they're walking the street. There's a certain area that you're familiar with and you keep moving in that area. So I saw this church on the corner. I go in there and I sit in the back. There was only maybe seven, eight people in there and they're up front. This lady walks back to me with her finger in the air, tiptoeing in the back. And she comes to me and she says, I'm sorry, but you gotta go, you can't be in here. And I said, excuse me, this is my father's house. I can be here. I have no idea where any of this is at. She said, I'm sorry, you can't be here. You have to have a dress on. You have to have stockings, you have to have heels. And again, very strongly, so strong that the people were starting to come towards me. And I said, no, I don't. This is my father's house. I can be here. This is my father's house. So when they start coming, I just got up and left. And I got outside and I'm like, God, how can they throw me out your house? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I go down the street, walking around. About a week later, I'm in the same area. That church was turned into a liquor store. And that's when I said, ah, God, that's why you sent me there. You sent me as a messenger and they fell. And then I just went about myself, 
totally clueless. <clears throat> then I ended up going to the gay club, Studio 54, Gallery and all, Reed Street, all those clubs because I felt safe in all males gay club. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So since they're not looking at me, I'm safe. Mm -hmm. And I would go there and I would be there from, cause they start at 12 midnight mm -hmm. into eight in the morning. And that's where I would be. My concern is when I left, you know, but that's how I was growing up in Greenwich Village, you know, um, in the gay clubs, you know, doing the acid back in the days, the mescaline, um, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I'm at Studio 54 watching who I didn't know were celebrities back then, but they're just people. Right. You know, then I started working in the clubs, you know, so I'm like 15 or 16, you know, but that's where, that's where it was. So when I listened to some of the history on some of these TV channels about Studio 54, that's when I learned, oh, really? That was going on? <laughs> You were there. You were living it. Oh, Mick Jagger. Okay. <laughs> you know, so I don't get excited because then I went into television. Mm -hmm. I started working in television. I got a job there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, from there, I realized I couldn't swim with the sharks. I'm still looking for love. I still want to be accepted. And I learned in the gay world, you're accepted. In the straight business world, doggy dog. Mm -hmm. And that's not how I was coming up. So I decided in my infidus wisdom, a God plan, I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. I got into law enforcement. Wow. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. This is when affirmative action just picked up, when it was looking for females. Mm -hmm. Females was getting sexually assaulted in the back of police cars. They was trying to get rid of you. They will kick your back, the bathroom door open and throw toilet tissue. Just, you know, they will have all these naked pictures of women all over the place. I was a trailblazer and didn't even know it. You know? So I had to go through a lot of emotional growing up because I was damaged, damaged goods. Excuse me. I was very damaged, mm -hmm. you know? Um, there's times I have been violent. There's times that I wanted to kill myself. I was codependent. I had low self-esteem. But there are certain things that happened in my life that would break that from me. And it's painful. Matter of fact, 
there was a time in my life that I had to go revisit the areas I came from. And I remember walking in this one woman's house and there was a, a bunch of young people there. Some of them grew up, they kind of remembered me. So anyhow, what happened was I'm sitting in this one woman's house. She comes up the stairs and when she opens the door, her greetings are a lot of curse words. And what the F are you doing here? And just a lot of baggage, but she couldn't hurt me anymore. So I quietly got up and I walked out. I was able to confront a lot of those hurts. But if it wasn't for God sending me through the martial arts school and, and some of the trials and tribulations, I wouldn't been able to handle it. Even when I try to take my own life, God was like, no, I'm not finished with you. Get over your sweet self. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I got a job for you to do, all right? It's not about you, you know? I'm sending you through this because I need you to be developed in certain areas. So when I am sitting and talking with someone in a prison or a jail cell or whatever, I've already been there and done that. So I know game when you're trying to give me game. So I let them talk and then when they finish, I'm like, okay, now that you want to play a game, let's put the game to the side and let's talk. What is your problem? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we talk, you know, but I wouldn't want to go through it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way because, you know, just what you were talking about, like being codependent, being scared, low self-esteem. I felt all those things. And at a period of my life, I didn't want to live anymore. I just thought, A, I, I want to stop hurting other people in my life because of course I was on the addiction side of things, but like, I, I just didn't want to live that life anymore. And it was almost as if, you know, this higher power, which I call God now was like exactly the same thing. Like, no, there's a bigger purpose for you. And I always try to share that message with people is that, you know what, you might think that your story isn't powerful enough, or you might think that what you've been through doesn't serve you, but it does, you know, and that can actually make you 10 times stronger in your life today. You know, like use that motivation, use that fuel to, you know, yes. propel you into a better life. So you help and you serve others. So, you know, what is life like? For, for you today? Well, I'm, the reason I'm smiling is, you know, because when I'm asked that question, my life more now is that I serve more in an excellent way. You know, I can look back and, and actually say thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you for allowing me to serve you because you have a plan and that plan is for me to help open the doors for other people that can't open the doors for themselves mm -hmm. to give them an opportunity to say you know what i am somebody i am somebody i am important 
You know what I'm saying? That's why I'm a hugger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, did you get it yet? Yeah, I got it. Come in and give me a hug. <laughs> you know, it's a celebration. Yeah. It, it is. There's nothing better than to talk with somebody else, share your stories, and that person all of a sudden, it's just like the hope light bulb goes on, right? And I experienced that. It was like, <gasps> greater things are possible. Like, I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to live in the past and let this affect me moving forward. Wow. How did you get there? <laughs> with a lot of work. You know, but it, it was really just looking at my story. And I, I literally, when I first got sober in 2012, I wrote out my entire life story and I read it to somebody. And it was so painful to do, but they said, okay, that was your story, right? Now we're going to write you a new story and here's how we're going to do it. A, you're going to have faith that there's something bigger than you out there, girl. And you know, my, the, the first person that I worked with, she said that she's like, no, you are not. Cause I thought I was the general manager of my universe, right? <laughs> I was in charge of everything and my way wasn't working anymore, <laughs> you know, but it was having faith that my needs will be met because I had such a scarcity mindset. Like I'm, I, when I actually sobered up, I was about $75,000 in debt. I, my marriage fell apart um, I, I came home from work and my car was gone. It had been repossessed out of my driveway. I had a futon, but I felt like this enormous weight had been lifted off my shoulder because for the first time in my life, I had one focus and that was to better myself and to have faith that my needs will be met. And I've, I haven't had to deal with things like being homeless or anything. And I'm so grateful to that because it could have, it could have landed there. Mm -hmm. I could have let what happened, go further. You know, I didn't have to go through treatment. I met somebody at the right time at the right place, which I believe was God's doing. Yeah. And I'm who I am today because of it. Yes, yes. So we can relate. Yes. Because we're on a higher level. And, you know, for me, sometimes it's as if I am 100,000 feet up and I'm looking down and I'm seeing those that are in need, mm -hmm. you know, those that are crying out and my heart goes out to them, you know? So that's why I said, you know what? To my husband, if God has told you to get me moving, cause I'm no longer in the jails and the prisons. I'm not on the street locking people up or anything like that. There's still need people like us out there because mm -hmm. we are that light. And then someone can look at you and say, oh, you don't know what you talk about. And you can say those beautiful words, been there, done that. Yes. You know, yes. I'd rather talk to someone who's been there, done that. As a matter of fact, at work release, this place I was at for inmates that are working and paying off their restitution. When I was there, there was a young lady that came in there for AA or some kind of drug treatment, right? Mm -hmm. 
So everybody lines up in the hallway and they go in that area in that classroom. It was like five minutes, they all are coming back. And I'm saying, what's going on? And one of the guys said, listen, officer, I asked her, has she ever gotten high? Has she ever drank alcohol and what have you? And she says, no, but on page 38, if you go to page 38, it says, and that's when they all walked out. And I understood if you're not, if you haven't been there and done that, how can you talk to me? Mm -hmm. How can you talk to me? Yeah. And I didn't make them go back because I understood, mm -hmm. you know, she was still, still in college, you know, and she was doing, I guess her paper or whatever, but it, it doesn't work with real life. No. And it, it is all about our experience. I remember when I got into podcasting and I, my dream has been to be a life coach and to help others who have gone through similar things that I do. But because my ego and my self-esteem kept me back there, I was like, who am I to teach people to do things? I thought you needed a college degree. I thought you needed all this education behind you. And now I'm starting to run into people and I'm so blessed for this that are like, Tamar, what are you doing? You've got probably more experience than someone who has spent four years in university with specific things in your life that, you know, and not to take away from education because, you know, right. I, I wish at the time I was more, I'm going to say motivated because I definitely was not, I, I'm a smart person, but I just wasn't applying myself, nor was I ready. But, you know, for me to speak to say a counselor that does not have um, experience in addiction, how do they really know what I'm talking about? And that's why I'm so incredibly motivated. You know, I just started my coaching business and I love doing the podcast and bringing people like yourself on because I believe that this is the stuff that impacts us. And now I do have a story, right? I have experience that maybe even if I can help one other person, I feel like I've done my job. I'd like to help a lot more than one person, but you know what I mean? You know, when you shine your light on people, they catch it. And then they turn and they tell someone else. And then the other person catch the light and tell someone else. You know, it's, it's a lot of hope. That's what's really needed. Because with that, with that hope, there's that love that just rushes up under that, you know, and lifts it up. And it's so important that you tell your story and you bring people in because again, there's no way you can hide. There's, there's no way you can hide. You know, mm -hmm. you are that light. Yeah. And when people talk to you, they'll know that it's true it's authentic yeah and you know as a person that have walked the walk you walked before you want realness you don't want people that are fake no not at all i mean it's yeah it's you just nailed it and uh i think that's just it's it's a gift with talking to other people that want to help other people because you actually get to hear real authentic stories of others. And it's, it's what I love about this industry so, so much. Now, I know for myself personally, I 
you know, since I started this journey of self-improvement and spirituality, I have to practice. I can't let up. It's not something that just happened to me and I'm good. You know, I have faith in God and now he's just, you know, I, I feel like I have to work and I have to do things each and every day to keep up my spiritual side and just my faith. Is there, you know, do you have a, a routine that you do that really keeps you spiritually fit and, you know, just keeps your faith high? Well, I'm going to say yes. And because my walk have always, or shall I say my walk has always been with me, you know, with the Lord, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of the lessons I learned, when I get up in the morning and I open my eyes, I know it's not done yet. I still have work to do. And I'm thankful for that. That's one of my routines to say thank you. On my way to work, I know I'm trying to keep it simple. Uh, I know I'm at a level where everybody has a certain jurisdiction, a certain level. So when I get up in the morning, I say thank you. And I ask, what is it that you want me to do today? And in my travel to work, I always play on my radio, whatever's necessary for me to listen to. But before I get in my car, I look up and I say some of the things I need to say to let the universe know you will come in agreement with my day for my job to be completed by my Lord and Savior. So I let the stars, the moons, I let everything know that God's in charge and you will come under my authority. Because if you, for me, if I don't say that because of the level that I'm on, then I'm not doing my part. And basically, that's part of my routine. I joined some women that have uh, intercessory prayer groups. I'm part of a couple of intercessory prayer groups. And we pray for people. We get prayers. Um, I, I live it. I live it. I walk it. I breathe it. And my my asking is for more boldness you know because i'm still a little shy and stuff like that but my favorite character is david in the bible when i have to go in i can go in mm -hmm. and i can do what i have to do but other than that i would like a little more boldness so i can expand the territory. So that's basically my routine. I read a lot of books, self-help books, and I'm, I'm practicing realizing that everybody's not on my level and I'm not on everybody's level. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have to bring it down when I'm talking with someone but if I'm talking to someone on another level, I can go there. 
you know, and it's only because of experience. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So if you could, you know, because there's a lot of people that struggle, not only in, you know, having faith that things are going to work out, but if there's something that you could, you know, words of wisdom or something you could recommend to somebody that's struggling and just doesn't believe in their own ability to change their lives, what would you tell them? There is no getting around it. There's a tunnel that you have to go through. And that tunnel is dark. And you have to have the balls to go through that tunnel. Mm -hmm. Because the victory is on the other side. That tunnel is a washing. So as you're walking through that tunnel, you're going to hear and see things that are going to make you very uncomfortable. But once you come through that tunnel, you're going to be a shining light. And then you're going to be able to do the things that you were set forth to do. Now, and if you're not walking through that tunnel, that's because you're not being obedient. You've got to be obedient. There is no way around it. So either life is going to smack you around or you're going to take the initiative, walk through that tunnel and serve the most high God and do the things you were meant to do because we are waiting out here for you. Join the army. Come. We're waiting for you. We need you. We need you to walk through that tunnel. The sooner you can get through that tunnel, the sooner you can serve. We need you now. That's what I got to say. That's powerful. It's love. It is love. I feel it. And if you guys could see Cece's smile right now, she's just, <laughs> she's got this amazing energy about her. And we probably talked for about 40 minutes before we finally oh. started the interview. But, you know, I think, yeah, it's, I feel like it's just been such a gift to have you on the show today. And for anybody that's listening and that's struggling, please reach out, share your story, because it's so important to do and walk through that tunnel. There I go. You know, thank you so much, Cece, for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that chat. I really appreciate Cece and I appreciate her coming on the road to health to share her story. And I know that her story will inspire so many people. So if you know anybody right now who maybe needs a little faith in their life and needs a little inspiration, make sure you share this episode out. And of course, if you're interested in some performance consulting or you want to sign up for my free Wake Up on Fire workshop, make sure you stay tuned. Come join us in the Facebook group so you can get all the up-to-date information. And you can also participate in the monthly challenges that I'm going to be hosting. And don't forget, October's topic is going to be goal setting. So if you're looking for some guidance in the goal setting arena and how to do it effectively, make sure you join us in the Road Forward Facebook community. And until next time, stay safe out there. 
That wraps up another episode of the Road to Health podcast, where my goal is to empower and inspire you to build a firm belief in your own ability to change your life and start achieving your goals. I know from experience, it can be hard to make healthy lifestyle changes that actually stick. I work with people to help them define their goals and identify the roadblocks that stop them from achieving them. If you would like to take advantage of a free consultation call to figure out how you can reach your goals, visit my website at www.theroadtohealth.me and book today. When you're there, make sure you sign up for my five steps to achieving your goals. And until next time, be safe and healthy.